Hello and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church on October the 26th, 2014. Our message for today is The Heart That Does Not Murder, delivered by Pastor Isaac Whiting, based on scripture readings Exodus 20, verses 13, Matthew 5, verses 21 to 22, and Ephesians 4, 26 to 27. Would you please pray with me as we turn now to the Word of God. Father in heaven, we come now and ask humbly that you will speak through your word. God, and help all of us to have ears to be able to hear what you are saying to each one of us today. We look to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what is the gospel? What is the good news, the message about Jesus? The message about Jesus is this. The world was really, really messed up. It was full of evil and death and murder and lying and everything that was wrong, and there was no hope and no escape. Not only was it full of everything that was wrong, but every human heart was really where the true evil lay. Human hearts and souls were so twisted that we were on a path, are on a path, many of us still, that will eventually lead to our eternal destruction, to a living hell separated from God. The situation is worse than can possibly be imagined. In fact, no one knows or can comprehend exactly how bad the situation is apart from God himself, because no one can see it fully. The situation is so bad that there is no hope. There is no hope in human plans, human activity. There is nothing that we can do to possibly escape from this damnation. The situation is awful. Abandon all hope. And then a man came into the world, a man who was perfect, a man who who exemplified and lived a new kind of life all the way from the depths of his heart. That man demonstrated this new kind of life, a life lived together with God in the power of the Holy Spirit. He showed it to people. And then he died and came back to life. And when he died and came back to life, he defeated the powers that held us hostage, that held us in that sin, and he made a way for us to escape it. And now, it's possible to escape. Through faith in Jesus, we can be made right with God, but not only that, now we can actually move forward into a new kind of life, the kind of life, more and more, that Jesus himself lived. We can enter that kind of life. That's the whole point. That's the whole point that we would enter it. And so what are the Ten Commandments, which we've been studying? We're up to the Sixth Commandment today. The Ten Commandments are now the way forward. Now that we've been brought into that new relationship and that new kind of life, what now? What do we do? What is the Holy Spirit going to lead us toward? And this is part of the path that God has laid out for us in Scripture. The path to get back to him. The path to become like his son 
in the depths of our being. But I want to remind you today, as I did last week, that church is not a test. We're not here just to learn about the Bible and then be able to spit back the answers when someone asks us. The test is our life. If you come on Sunday morning, even if you come regularly, even if you read the Bible constantly, but you never put it into practice, it will not profit you at all. There will be no benefit to you. You don't get good marks just for showing up on a Sunday morning. The whole point is that we would hear the Word of God and then go and do it, and by the power of the Spirit be transformed, be made like Jesus. And that is what we must do here this morning. Each and every one of us must listen for what God is speaking to us, how he is leading us, and then put it into practice in our lives. I wonder sometimes how deep our faith has really gone. I wonder if we have a faith that can pass the test. Like I said, your life is the test, and we're tested every day out there in the world. Do you pass the test? Do you naturally and easily act like Jesus did in your everyday life? What if an even bigger test came. You know, back in 1994, in the country of Rwanda, in Africa, there was a really awful thing that happened, a genocide, right? I'm sure most of us know uh, at least the outlines of this story. Uh, A new government came into power, and in the space of several months, somewhere between half a million and a million people were murdered. Uh, Many of them were murdered by government soldiers, but many of them were murdered by their neighbors. And the striking thing about Rwanda, I think the most striking thing about it, is that the country, at the time just before the genocide began, the country was almost entirely Christian. It was something like 95 to 98% Christian. And not just, most of them not just saying that they were Christian, but attending church regularly. People who we would have looked at and said, oh, they are a Christian. They look just like us. The country was in a period of economic prosperity. Everything seemed to be going great. And then when the conditions changed, What was really down inside many, many people's hearts was revealed. And I think that most of them didn't even know what was there. I think if you'd asked them a year before the genocide, if you'd asked the people who ended up participating in it, oh, would you kill someone if you had the opportunity? Of course not. Who would say yes to that? And so they were even deceived themselves about the condition of their own heart. We're up to the the sixth commandment today, and the sixth commandment is really simple. It's do not murder. Do not murder. And the natural response of many people when they hear this commandment, they hear that you're going to be teaching on it, is, well, of course, 
Duh, do not murder, right? Who's going to do that? Who's going to do that? That's not a commandment that I need to hear because, of course, I don't go out and murder people, and I never would. But I think that this commandment is one, not in the letter, perhaps, but in the spirit of the commandment that is broken constantly in our world, every day, most of the time, by most people. They do not actually murder, but their heart is in a state that if they were put into the right conditions, they probably would. Do you have a faith that would pass the test? What would you do in the wrong situation? So let's look at the commandment, do not murder. It's Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, if you want to take a look at it. But you might not need to since it's so short. I want to say a couple of things about the commandment and what it means, what it includes and does not include, just to start us off. First of all, I'll say the commandment is not the command to not kill. Notice that the commandment is specifically a command, do not murder. And that's because there are actually situations in which it is the right thing to do, never a good thing exactly, but sometimes in certain situations, the best thing that can be done to take someone else's life. There are situations where it's the right thing to do. So, for example, this commandment is not saying anything about war. It's not saying anything about capital punishment. Uh, There are good arguments uh, that we could make about some of those things, and, and I'm not saying if those are right or wrong. It depends on the situation, I think. But the commandment itself is not saying anything about those situations. The commandment is specifically talking about personal interactions. For you, out of anger or some other motivation, jealousy, to take the life of another human being. The commandment does include, therefore, such things as suicide and abortion. Those things have always been included in the commandment because to do those things comes out of the wrong state of heart. And so we can see that the commandment, even from the very beginning, when it's given to the Israelites, is not about fulfilling the letter of the law. Murder was not a massive problem among the people of Israel. There's no evidence that they were murdering each other all the time, any more than we are today in modern Canada. But the commandment was very important for all of them, not just for the few who might actually end up killing someone or murdering someone, because the commandment is about their inner condition, the state of their heart, their motivations, and their intentions. So as an example, we could take the attack that happened earlier this week at Parliament. We can see that there are two very different, or probably from what we can gather, two very different conditions of heart in that situation. There's the condition of heart of the attacker, which very likely is one of contempt, possibly anger, possibly mental illness as well. And then there's the condition of heart 
of Kevin Vickers, who stopped him by killing him. And that condition of heart is very different because the uh, sergeant at arms who stopped the attacker was not trying to uh, get something for himself. He was not acting out of a wrong motivation, but out of a motivation to save life, out of a motivation to protect and to do what is right. And so that's why we call one murder and the other not. It all has to do with the condition of your heart. This is very important as we move forward because we'll see that this is what Jesus says as well, that it is about the condition of heart that a person is in. But I want to focus it and, and make us see that it was like that from the beginning. It's not something that Jesus changed about the commandment. So, what is the main point of this commandment, do not murder? I want to say that the main point is that we would commit no kind of murder. We would do nothing with an intent to harm another human being. All human life is sacred to God. We were created in his image And we are not given authority over the lives of other people. Not authority to take their life. Not authority to harm their life. Not authority to be cruel or to go after what is against someone else. Anything like this is evil and comes from the wrong condition of heart. We'll move forward now into Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus begins to fulfill, to fulfill this commandment and teach us what it really included all along. I'll read it for you again, starting in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 21. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, that is, to the court. But anyone who says, you fool, is in danger of the fire of hell. Is that really true? And think about for a minute, do you really believe that? Do you believe that in a way that you feel it when you are tempted to think that way of someone else? Do you believe it in a way that you feel it for someone else when you see them trapped in anger or in a state where they're looking down and hating or despising other people? Do you see that they are in danger of the fires of hell? Why exactly would that be? This is Jesus' first point, that anger puts you in danger. Anger puts you in danger, what does Jesus say? He says it puts you in danger of judgment. And I think here he means judgment in every sense. Judgment in uh, judgment by God, also judgment by the people who are around you, as anger is right at the core of what makes, our, uh, what makes our society so bad when it goes bad. Anger is right at the core of the system of evil in the world. And Jesus here tries to take it out 
right away. Anger is dangerous. Let me read for you now from Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and starting at verse 26. Paul tells us something very similar. He says, In your anger, or when you are angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Here I'd like to bring you an image of what it really is happening when you get angry at someone. Anger itself, the very uh, the, the bare feeling of anger with nothing else added to it by itself is not a sin exactly. It is something that just happens to us whenever uh, there's something someone else does or that happens around us that's not what we want. Whenever that happens, the natural response of our body and our mind is some level of anger or frustration. But many of us at that point think that that anger is a good thing, that it will help me to fix this situation. When we feel that anger, we're tempted to draw it into ourselves, to accept it, to receive it, and to use it. And that is a trap and a danger. And it's what Jesus and Paul and the Sixth Commandment are all getting at, warning us about. Anger gives the devil a foothold. So here I have an image for you. An image of a handhold on a rock climbing wall. And I want you to imagine that this rock wall that's on this picture is the wall of a castle. It's the wall of a castle, and that castle is your soul. Inside is everything that God created you to be, it's who you are. And your soul is like this wall protecting you. And outside the wall is your enemy, the devil. And he is trying to break in and destroy you and ruin your soul. And here's what's really happening whenever you experience anger. What is happening is a handhold has appeared on that wall. That wall should be smooth like glass so that no one can climb up it. But when you feel angry, what is really happening is that a handhold has appeared on that wall and the enemy reaches up and grabs onto it. Now at that point, you have two choices. And the best choice always is to forgive and release your anger. It's best in every way, not just because uh, it will do good things in your relationships outside. It's best for your own soul. Because when you forgive and release that anger, that handhold falls off the wall and the enemy falls away with it. But what most of us do is we receive that anger. The enemy is scaling the wall of our soul and we reach down and we say, hey, come on up, I want to bring you inside. And then the enemy can do whatever he wants. 
If we receive the anger, we draw it into ourselves, it will sink down into us and it will lead us on a path that will destroy our relationships with people and with God. And eventually the end point of that path is eternal death. It is the beginning of a path that leads very certainly to eternal death. Jesus also in this passage in Matthew chapter 5 deals with another state of mind that's similar and related to anger, related to the heart that would commit murder, but very different and very subtle. And I'm not sure exactly what to call this state of mind. Some people have called it contempt. A state of mind where you are looking down on people that are around you. Jesus describes it by saying in the last verse there, verse 22 at the end, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fires of hell. Saying you fool to someone, this is a state he's describing where you consider the other person not worth anything. You consider another person somehow less than you. And this state is very dangerous because it is very subtle and very hard even to detect in yourself. It can be arrived at by receiving anger for a long time and letting it sink down in you, but it can also be arrived at very slowly and without experiencing a whole lot of anger on the surface. Maybe it begins by someone does something, someone that you know, maybe at work or in your family, does something that you don't like or you're annoyed with or that feels like it's against you. And you think in your heart, you think negative thoughts about this person. Maybe they're not even very specific negative thoughts, but as they sit there, as they sit there, you begin to think more and more about the bad things that are in this person rather than what's good. And then your mind is focused on that over time and eventually you reach a state where you either are ready to attack this person or you're ready more often just to cut them off. You want nothing to do with them. You don't care about them anymore. You wish they weren't in your life and you make it so that they really aren't, even if you're around them sometimes. They're not really part of your world or what you, uh, what you want to be engaged with. And most of us think that that's not that big a deal, right? We won't get along with everybody. But this is the condition that Jesus is warning us about. The condition where we look at another person as if they are less than us. This is the condition that in the state of murder, when the conditions are right, is cold blood. Stephen Harper said in his address to the nation that the first murder, the murder of uh, the soldier who was standing guard, was committed in cold blood. A murder where there is no anger. It's simply the complete devaluation of another human being to the point where it is easy to just get rid of them. And when the conditions are right, that comes out in a very obvious, obviously evil way. But it is sitting in most of our hearts most of the time. Unless we have done 
what it takes with the power of Jesus to remove it. How do you know if you would pass the test? I've said today that anger and contempt, looking down on people, the heart that would murder in the wrong situation is a very subtle thing. And that very often we don't know ourselves that we are in that condition. How can we find out? How can we know? And what can we do? If you take a look at your bulletin insert today, there's a large section for notes. I'm sure you've been writing in furiously during this message. But at the bottom of that, I put one question and one challenge to you today. And the question is a fantastic one. It's not my question. It actually was written by John Wesley in 1729. Many of you know who John Wesley was, is. He was a leader of the church. He and his brother Charles wrote a lot of the hymns that we still sing today. And this was a question that they asked each other regularly while they were in university at Oxford. Is there anyone whom I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment toward, or disregard? And if so, what am I doing about it? Is there anyone who I fear, dislike, disown, criticize, hold a resentment toward, or disregard? And if so, what am I doing about it? These different emotions or feelings that we have toward other people are all signs that somehow in our heart we have internalized anger or are looking down on another person. They are all signs that we have, in fact, a heart of murder toward that person. How can we know if we would pass the test? I think really taking the time to answer this question is one way that we can know. I encourage you in this challenge today that you would take some time this week. Ideally, you would do it today or tomorrow, maybe half an hour or an hour, and quiet yourself. Get yourself into a state where you're not distracted by other things, busy with lots of thoughts in your head. And then simply, in quiet, ask God about the condition of your heart. If you do this and you really want to know, he will reveal it to you. I have experienced this many times and even just this past week, I'm sure many of you have as well. Ask him where you're at. He will show you. He will show you as much as you can handle, though I think we cannot handle all of it at once. God will show you, and then if you are willing, he will begin to show you the way out of that heart. He will begin to show you the way out of a heart that is blocking your relationship with God that is cutting you off from him and keeping you from being the person that you were made to be. The way will not be easy, and you will have to want it more than anything else. 
The biggest problem for us is that most of us who are angry or not and simply have a heart of contempt, a heart of murder, most of us think that it's okay. We think that we have good reasons to hold the views that we do. We think we have good reasons to cut off the person that we're cutting off, to fear the person that we're afraid of. We think we have good reasons to be angry at the one who's done something against us, at least in our view. Most of us want to hold on to our anger, and that is what will lead us to hell. That is what will destroy our souls. And so we need to seek God today and every day that we would change our desires and want nothing but what is in him. Let's pray together. Father God, it is amazing that you look down on this world able to see what you can see right into the heart of every human being, the depths of how far we are away from you, how much evil and anger and wrong is in our hearts, and that still you love us and you love this world and you offer us the way out. And God, it's my prayer today for myself and for everyone else in this room that we would desire to get out. God, that you would show us what is what the condition of our hearts really is. Show us a little bit more, as much as we can handle, and help us to run from it. Help us by the power of your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.